What is going on, movie lovers? Welcome back to another edition of No Content for Old Men. This is the podcast where every week I give you reviews of the latest movies and some streaming suggestions for your weekend. As always, I'm your host, Matt Craig. Thank you so much for listening. And this is the third installment of what I've been calling Cram for the Exam Week. Um, On Tuesday, I talked about West Side Story, Nightmare Alley, and Being the Ricardos. Yesterday, I talked about Don't Look Up and The Matrix Resurrections. And then today, I had to talk about it because it is the biggest movie in the world, the biggest movie of the past two years, at least. It's Spider-Man No Way Home. It will be the last full review of 2021. And then coming on Friday morning will be my fourth annual list of every movie I saw, every 2021 movie I saw ranked. And you can look forward to that. It's always every year my most viewed, my most listened to item. So you will not want to miss that. Um, But until then, this episode is going to be entirely just my thoughts. I'm getting it all out there uh, on Marvel. Uh, A lot of people know I'm not a big Marvel fan. Why is that? You're about to find out. And also my thoughts on this Spider-Man movie that everyone is seeing and everyone seems to love. Do you, I love it? That is the question indeed. All right, let's jump into it. Spider-Man No Way Home. There's a quote that has always stuck with me, spoken in 2019 by Joe Russo. He and his brother directed many of the biggest Marvel movies. In response to Martin Scorsese's very public comments that he thinks Marvel movies are not cinema, We're just two guys from Cleveland, Ohio, Russo said, and cinema is New York word. In Cleveland, we call them movies. The obvious intention here is to deflate Scorsese's pretentiousness, but there's an implication that carries more punch than Russo, a super rich guy who now lives in Los Angeles, perhaps intended. Urban versus rural is currently the great dividing line in the United States across the spectrum of issues. And it's ironic to see it trickle down to something as trivial as the movie business. Lost in the conversation about the survival of the theatrical movie-going experience is the fact that for most Americans, the opportunity to see the best movies in a given year on the big theater screen simply no longer exists. Every year when I leave my movie bubble of Los Angeles, and before that Chicago, and I returned to my parents' home in North Carolina, I met with the reality that there isn't a theater within a 50-mile radius that carries the latest awards contenders. Instead, this year, there's 18 showings of Spider-Man No Way Home. And frankly, people can't get enough. Amidst the pandemic-era theatrical apocalypse, in which the highest-grossing opening weekend for any movie was $75 million, Spider-Man opened to $250 million, which is more than 2.5 times its projection, and that is unheard of. And as of this writing, it's over $516 million domestically and over $1 billion globally. It's literally breaking the system. Frequent readers of this uh, of my newsletter and of this podcast might believe that I admit those numbers through gritted teeth because of my long, long-standing feud and frequent boycott of Marvel movies. One of the most common questions I get asked Why do you hate Marvel? I don't hate Marvel so much as I believe the MCU, which is the Marvel Cinematic Universe, if you're lucky enough not to be indoctrinated, 
to be some sort of mass hypnosis in which we've all decided instead of choosing which foods we like and want to eat, we'd rather hook ourselves up to a feeding tube at the end of a mass production assembly line. For a conglomerate like Disney, the stakes are far too high to risk a project on the unique vision of any one person. Every aspect of these movies is made by committee, with respect to the investment of many, many stakeholders, each with different priorities. Priority number one is always to appeal to the broadest possible audience, which is why the characters are so obvious and the plots so predictable. And there's a constant need to hold the audience's hand and treat them as if they're, well, stupid. I find this thing kind of incredibly patronizing, but I want to make the specific point that I don't blame anyone who does enjoy the franchise. Marvel movies, and specifically Spider-Man, are an irrepressible joy machine, and I love the idea that a movie can make someone happy no matter what it is. Though suddenly Scorsese's comparison to theme park rides doesn't seem so crazy. My biggest gripe with Marvel movies is that they've chosen to completely eliminate consequence from their storytelling which I believe to be among the most important elements of a good movie. Here's what I mean. If a character makes a mistake or has a character flaw or simply chooses one avenue over another, then there must be some consequences to his actions. At a fork in the road, one cannot take both paths. There must be stakes. There must be decisions. Yet too often these movies snap their fingers and make problems disappear. To have their cake and eat it too. I've come to call it the Chewbacca problem after Chewbacca's death and immediate (laughs) uh, life coming back. uh, You can read about it in my newsletter at mattcraig.substack.com, and there's a great article by Esquire that breaks it all down, but I call it the Chewbacca problem. Anyway, because of Marvel movies' incredible popularity, the most dangerous thing about them is the way they've trained the expectations of an entire generation of movie and TV watchers to always get what they want. Whether it's unambiguous and obviously good or evil characters, nonstop fan service and wish fulfillment, or reversing permanent story- storytelling decisions. Marvel is like a parent who lets their child have candy every single night for dinner because that's what the child says they want. So then anytime someone offers them vegetables or even a perfectly cooked steak, they throw a fit and demand candy. The optimist in me, buried deep down somewhere, would like to believe that audiences will still respond to great storytelling. It's a big reason why I've been putting out my newsletter and this podcast for the last three years. And as proof, I believe it's no coincidence that the most successful Marvel movies, both commercially and critically, are those that had real stakes. I'm thinking of Avengers Endgame, where Tony Stark dies and Captain America gets old, though whiny fans are demanding Chris Evans' return at some point, and now this latest Spider-Man entry. In it, Peter Parker wants to escape the complications created by the whole world finding out that he is Spider-Man. So he asks Doctor Strange, a magician superhero, to cast a spell. Except the spell goes wrong, and suddenly there's a bunch of villains from alternate universes who spill out. I won't spoil anything, but... A poor decision during the movie leads to the death of one of his dearest characters, and a realization at the end leads to some pretty drastic consequences for the character going forward. It's these elements that elevate the movie from its usual quip and CGI punch fest backbone, which, as always, is so perfect it's uninteresting. I mean, Tom Holland and Zendaya are incredibly charming, the action sequences are on point, and everything is so shiny and neat it's, I mean, it's practically Pleasantville. The only flaw given to any characters who aren't villains 
is the sin of caring too much or working too hard. (laughs) Michael Scott would be proud. I'll admit, this movie deserves a lot of credit for dodging the disease of blockbuster mumbo-jumbo, which I talked about yesterday and when I was talking about James Bond's new No Time to Die movie. Anyway, remaining clear and understandable, despite a plot that involves magic, alternative universes, multiple Peter Parkers, and like eight different sets of superpowers, is no small feat. Of course, there's a cynical way to view these seemingly real stakes as a kind of evil genius magic trick. For example, if Peter Parker regains his secret identity and nobody knows who he is, including his friends and girlfriend, it allows for several more fresh or recycled stories to be told. If he's aging into college and then adulthood, the death of, well, I won't tell you who, makes things less complicated. In a big picture sense, if there's a multiverse, it allows the MCU to essentially take every single fork in every single road that has ever existed. Why have one Spider-Man when you can have three? Why have one villain when you can have six? Why come up with a new good idea when you can recycle both the Peter Parkers and the villains from the successful movies in the past? If the MCU itself has a superpower, it's the ability to always pay off fan service without cheapening its product. Somehow, time and time again, they're able to dance the fine line between giving fans exactly what they want now and also later, having their cake and eating it too, every single time. Marvel's reward then, in my mind, is the gigantic pile of cash they're raking in every time they put out a new installment. They do not need critical support, and they certainly don't need awards recognition. You don't need to tell me, or excuse me, you don't need me to tell you whether this movie is worth seeing or not, because chances are by now you've probably already seen it, or you never will. So as for this newsletter, as for this podcast, in every alternate universe, you won't find much coverage of Marvel movies going forward, but hey, to each his own. All right, guys, that's going to do it for today's podcast. Uh, Like I said, I'll be back tomorrow. Uh, I'm still trying to figure out the best way to do it in podcast form, but you're going to want to head over to my newsletter at mattcraig.substack.com and tomorrow morning check out my list of ranking all the movies I saw that were released this year. Uh, I think there were like 85 of them now at this point, and they'll be ranked literally 1 to 85. Um, and that is always fun. I know it, it gives people a, a good sense of like what I actually think is really good and or not. And uh, some of the funniest ones are actually the worst movies of the year. What I think was just like horrible. <laughs> um, so yeah, so get ready for that tomorrow. And then we'll have to figure out what we're going to do in the new year. I, I've still got a, a whole bunch of movies or at least a handful of movies that I did not get to at the end of this year and will be part of the awards conversation. I'm thinking specifically of Tragedy Macbeth, but also Drive My Car, The Lost Daughter, Red Rocket, Parallel Mothers. So there are plenty of movies that we still are going to want to be talking about. Anyways, uh, that's more than enough information for you. So until tomorrow, until next time, guys, I guess I'll see you at the movies.